This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
and you are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. Kia ora everyone, welcome to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by, for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. So today I'm with Aisha Goyle and Farah Mohammed. They are from the organisation Authenticity Aotearoa um, and here to talk about the upcoming Women of Colour Conference happening this weekend. Um, and I'm just really excited to get to know them. Kia ora, Aisha and Farah, thanks for being here today. Kia ora and namaste. Um, my name is Aisha. I am 23 years old and I live in Auckland, Tamaki Makoro. Um, I am the operations lead for the Women of Colour Conference at Authenticity Aotearoa. Um, and I have just started as a law clerk um, working at a law firm in Auckland called Russell McVeigh. So I'm working in corporate law, um, specialising in public law and regulation. Um, I'll pass on to Farah. Thank you. Um, kia ora. Um, I'm Farah. Um, I was like, oh no, I should share her age. Do I have to share mine? <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually my birthday this weekend, so turning on, on conference day. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm part of um, the conference as the logistics and social media lead. Um, and kind of on in my day job, I work for ASB Bank as a senior manager in the Office of Technology, which means nothing to most people. <laughs> um, I basically do technology governance and strategy. So, um, yeah, and my kind of pathway to, to be here is quite interesting. So um, don't know if you want me to get into that now. or Yeah, you should. Um. I studied computer science and applied maths and definitely something that I just kind wow. of stumbled into because I liked those subjects at school because um, you don't get much support in trying to choose those topics. So you just kind of kind of do what you think you know. Um, and then when I was trying to apply for jobs, which is a really hard transition for uni to work, um, I got into the ASB grad program, which... Um, at the time, I got into an analytics stream. So, again, not really what I studied, but kind of branching off, um, moving into that space. And um, as a grad, you're kind of expected to just learn things and move around. So that was an awesome opportunity. Um, and I ended up, when I finished the program, I went into a role that was opposite to everything that I learned, that I mm. studied and learned on the program. It was in risk governance. Um, so it was like governance for the risk portion of the bank. Um, and yeah, it was kind of like writing board papers and making words. And wow. I went <laughs> a super numbers person to like writing um, <clears throat> writing lots of essays, which I didn't do at uni at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I, I kind of love it. it. It's real all about like organization and organizing coordinating people which I'm really good at so um yeah but eventually my passion's always been technology and that's kind of I guess why I enjoyed CompSci and so I always wanted to get back into that area so it's only been about five months but I've just moved into my new role um, in technology which is um doing a similar kind of thing but for technology but hoping to kind of up upskill myself more technically so I can stay in this field kind of for the rest of my career. Mm. I, I love that, you know, just listening to that journey of yours, um, how much has changed and like what you did in uni may not be where you're 
what you're doing now. Um, I think it's quite relieving for some people to <laughs> to hear that because um, it's not what we expect. You know, things change. Hmm. I know. And for many years of like after leaving uni, I, you know, if I was offered a job or there was an opportunity, I was always really conflicted because I was like, I don't know what the right thing to do is. Like, yeah. do I take it? Do I stay? What do I do? Um, and for the first time, like moving into this role about four years after I started my kind of professional journey, I really wanted this job, like in my heart, like I knew mm. this is what I wanted. And I just wish I could tell my younger self, like, you'll get there, like, just trust your gut. And one day, mm. you'll just know, like, this is your next right step. So I totally understand that hardest part was transitioning from work from uni to work. Mm. Um, thank you so much, Farah, for sharing. Um, Aisha, I do want to hear, like, have you always knew you wanted to do law? Um, so I actually grew up with in a family sort of surrounded by lawyers. Um, so my granddad, who I call Dada in Hindi, um, in India, he was a judge. Um, my dad is a lawyer in India. Um, his sister, my cousins, a lot of them um, have done law. So I kind of had lots of legal people or sort of lawyers as inspiration growing up. Um, but I guess it was also a process of elimination that a lot of us go through. So I was actually, similar to Farah, I was actually more on the numbers side at high school. Um, so definitely enjoyed like math and accounting um, a lot more than the English-based subjects. Um, so that was kind of a bit confusing because everyone was kind of like, oh, you've dropped English in year 13, but like, how are you going to do law? Um, but, you know, I was still taking things like history and economics. Um, so kind of was doing a wide range of things. I knew I did not want to be a doctor. I knew I did not want to be an engineer. <laughs> so it was kind of like, mm, there's like law, business, that's kind of left, I guess, um, you know, with the culture that we grew up in. Yeah. Um, there, you're kind of told that these are sort of the, the four major. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh. Um, but having, you know, lawyers all around me definitely sparked an interest um, in law as well. So I decided to do law and commerce pretty early on from high school um, and stuck with that. Once I started studying at Auckland Uni, um, I always had a passion for economics from high school. Um, and I, the first few years of uni, I actually thought I wouldn't end up in a law job. I thought I'd end up, you know, at the treasury or somewhere in government um, doing more eco-related things. Um, but the more that I actually did law papers at uni, kind of, I developed more of a passion for it. Um, and yeah, I got to Russell McVay through a university scholarship route that they have. Um, so the scholarship kind of provides you with mentorship and connections with the firm, as well as what we call a clerkship, which is like a summer internship. Um, so I did that at the end of my fourth year at uni. Um, and really loved the team that I worked in. I picked the public law and regulation team because I had a passion for the public law side mm -hmm. of the legal world. Um, so that, and then kind of it crossed over well with my economics and commerce side of my studies. So it kind of felt like the perfect mix um, to be doing and to kind of have both of my passions. The other thing also was that, you know, the, they do say that the big firms are the best place to start and to, you know, get that legal training. So that was a big sort of attraction for me as well. Um, and the third thing is definitely the people. Like I loved my team that I worked in over summer. 
Um, and so that kind of was the deciding factor for me. And I actually signed my contract like a year and a half before I actually started the grad job, mm. which was crazy um, to be signing something so far in advance. And, you know, I did doubt myself a little bit of like, am I cutting myself short? Like, should I be applying elsewhere? Because at law school, you know, people go through recruitment season, which is just very intense and competitive and people are applying for lots of different firms. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of like, I'm really grateful for this opportunity that I was given. And since I enjoyed it and valued it, I wanted to give it a shot. So I'm here now and I started just in July this year. Um, it is, it's been really cool so far. Um, my team's been really busy, which has been exciting, um, but definitely a challenge, um, kind of learning a lot and sort of sometimes thrown in the deep end, but in the best way possible. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's so exciting. And um, yeah, and to know that you, you've you just started um, this this journey. And um, I love fresh starts. Like um, I, this, like I'm working at a radio station now and it's been a year and I, it still yeah. feels like a bit new and learning yeah. all the time. Um, when you mentioned that, most of your family members were in law, like same. My parents were both <laughs> lawyers. Um, oh wow! Like I, I follow my mom to the court like every weekend. Wow! Um, and <laughs> I was definitely in that area, but mm. surprisingly, none of um, my parents' children ended up doing law. <laughs> like, no, that's not. And I think, um, yeah, like we, we all went in different paths. Like suddenly I'm in mm. radio, my brother's in computer science, my other brother's in politics. Um, wow. And I think it's just um, interesting to see how, you know, like um, especially being like Asian, um, the pathways um, your parents took may or may not um, be your pathway in the future. Mm. 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 Um, yeah, just that's interesting. Um, one thing I do want us to talk about is um, cultural identities. And um, I think this is a really interesting topic because it's definitely um, like a personal thing. Like you choose who you want to be. Like a lot of people mm. ask, like, what do you mean by cultural identity? Um, so it's basically any culture you identify with. Um, yeah. If you could share that story with us, um, one of you can sure. start. Hmm. Yeah, I can go. Um, I call myself a proud Kiwi Indian. Um, so I've had a bit of an interesting cultural identity journey. Um, so I was actually born in New Zealand. Um, and that's because my mum's parents immigrated here from Punjab, India in the 1970s. So my mum was born and brought up in Auckland. And but my dad was born and brought up in Delhi in India. Um, so they got married in India and then decided that they wanted to live in Auckland, and which is when I was born. And then they decided they wanted to move back when I was about one. So I lived in Delhi, India from when I was one till I was 13. And then we moved back here when I was 13 and I went into year 10 at high school in Auckland. Um, so it's kind of at this point in my life, I think, I can say majority of my life has been in India, but soon it will kind of be half and half. Mm. Um, and I think for that reason, both of my sort of cultures or both countries um, form an equal part of my cultural identity, um, where I'm at now at least, and that might change in the future. Um, it's quite funny in our family when we go to like 
Indian and New Zealand cricket games. My dad and I are usually there with big India India flags and our India t-shirts. But my mum and my brother have the black caps and, you know, so we have a bit of a rivalry going on in the family. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's been really cool. And I think my mum puts it in the best way. She She feels that she was able to give us the best of both worlds. Um, and I definitely agree with that, kind of having gone through that journey now and being able to reflect on it. Um, I'm really glad to have grown up in India with family all around us and to grow up with the cultural values um, and learning the traditions and that all of that. And then being able to come and bring that to New Zealand. Um, and now that the Indian community here is so big um, and it's so cool to be able to be part of that and um, do those things in Auckland um, proudly and openly. Um, like I say to my friends that I do more Indian things in Auckland than I probably did in India, mm. <laughs> which, you know, I think a lot of us go through. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now with my cultural identity, but it's definitely been a journey. Um, and Farah and I have talked about this before where we went through phases of not wanting to be friends with Indian people um, or, you know, like not wanting to be associated with Indian culture and that kind of thing. And that particularly was for me when I was trying to fit into high school. Um, kind of first I came and it was easy to be friends with the other immigrants. Um, and that's also tricky because I was kind of like, I'm born here, so I'm kind of not in the same position as um, other immigrants who've been born and brought up overseas but have moved here at, you know, say 10 years old. Um, so I was kind of in an awkward in-between spot yeah. where I like had that same thick Indian accent, but I was born here and I had a Kiwi passport. Um, and so I kind of became friends with them first and then went through this like rebellious stage, I guess, of like, oh, I don't want to be friends with Indian people. Like, or, you know, I want to be friends with the Kiwi girls because that's going to, I guess, help me fit in. And I didn't realize it at the time. I think it's definitely in hindsight and looking back. Um, and now most of my closest friends are Indian um, and I'm very involved in the culture. So, yeah, I'll stop talking. <laughs> Far you go. No, I, before that, I love how vulnerable you are to speak about um, those past feelings, um, the things we do when we were probably teenagers and we didn't really think mm. how that would affect us um, in our identities and how yeah. um, quite damaging it was for our mm. personal um, self and our personal mm. worth. Um, mm. And now that we have <laughs> a more rational brain, I guess, yeah. that we just realized <laughs> that, huh, that wasn't right, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think we'll talk a lot more about this when we um, when you guys talk about the Women of Colour conference, because there mm. will be conversations on how we support other women of colour being mm. a woman of colour. Mm. Um, so thanks, Aisha, for sharing that. I think it's a good baseline to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Farah, can you share with us your identity? Yeah, um, of course, I was just reflecting when you said, you know, cultural identity is something you choose, I think. Um, realizing that it's something you choose is in itself a journey. Mm, yeah. so, um, for a long time, I would have just thought, well, what's it's what I've been born into. That is my cultural identity. Um, but kind of working through that I'm a mix of lots of things has been my journey. Um, so I am born in Fiji. Um, my 
ancestry is Indian, so we call ourselves Fijian Indians. Um, I think that, I mean, it's not, I mean, people know what Fijian Indians are, but don't quite know that it's just that five generations ago, people came mm. from India to Fiji and then started calling themselves Fijian Indians. So um, I think that in itself is complex. So you've got Fijian kind of traditions and you've got Indian traditions. And then when I was two years old, my family moved to New Zealand. Um, so I have lived in New Zealand for over 20 years. Um, and I grew up, I went to, you know, all school here. I grew up here, um, uni and everything. Um, I'd consider this my home um, totally. But I think it's just, it's a continued challenge. Like I would say I'm, I've solved the cultural identity um, kind of question for myself um and I the other aspect is that I'm Muslim and so that throws in although that's not a cultural thing it's a religious thing but it does throw in another complexity to your cultural identity um because I think I don't know if this is across other cultures but for Indians I find that culture and religion get merged <laughs> yeah. um and there's sometimes you know there's things that that are contradicting contradicting each other in um, culture and religion and some people go with this side and some people go with that side and so it's you know it's all a web of of confusion so mm. I think similar to Aisha like I grew up in a family that was quite open to the fact that we lived here and that we had to kind of accept some of the ways that things were done in the western world um, while still appreciating like our own language and our own culture our own religion, our own kind of ways of doing things. Um, and for a lot of my probably like young child to preteens, you know, that worked and it was good. Um, and then probably as soon as I hit my teenage years when I started developing my own set of values <laughs> and thoughts and feelings, um, there was definitely a big clash. So I went through a, a really big period of time and through probably my teenage years to my early 20s when I just clashed with my family um yeah and that's a whole nother conversation about well-being but um yeah just with the fact that I was confused about like how I felt about my culture um being like Indian versus being Kiwi um and like the things that I saw different groups of friends doing that I didn't do because they were from India and I was not from India, I was from Fiji, mm. like that being another thing. Um, and then also the religion thing. So just the um, seeing all my Western kind of raised friends not having to do the things that I had to do from a religious perspective and really mm. struggling with that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, and that just put immense pressure on my relationship with my family. And so, um I think for a long, long time, pushed away all of that and tried to not be mm. of that and assim assimilated myself just to be a white person, essentially. Mm. Um, I would say, like, only in the last few years have I begun to appreciate um, how all those things have contributed to making me who I am. And, mm. and I'm still kind of putting together the puzzle of like, well, this is this for me, this is this for me, this is how I can um, really utilise those skills from that area and bring in that thing from that culture and make it into me and mm. and 
settle into like what um who I am as a person um I was just telling the the walk team the other day that this birthday for me feels really daunting because and it's not because I don't feel like I'm achieved a lot in my life I feel like there's a social expectation of what I should be at this age which is from cultural and religious expectations that like I'm struggling with because even though I might not believe that in my heart everyone around me is projecting those feelings expectations <laughs> onto me not even spoken expectations just unspoken expectations and it mm. and you know it makes me feel like I'm a failure because I haven't met those things that they think I should be doing so that that's that in itself is affecting my cultural identity so yeah so I mean I would say that like I'm like not even 50% there and like really appreciating and understanding who I am with all those things like fit together and joined (laughs) it's so complex as would be my answer to that question like the intersectionality between all those things is incredibly complex and Mm. working that through in your brain and is is such a challenge and having these conversations for me is the way to work Mm. So mm. really appreciate being able to talk about it. Mm. I would definitely echo that. And I definitely echo that, like, it's such a journey. Um, and I think it's a, like, I don't know if any of us will ever get to 100% because things are sort of always changing. And I think, you know, those factors that you mentioned, Farah, like, you know, our culture, our country, our religion, definitely agree that especially for our Indian community and for us as Indians, there's so much of an overlap between the culture and the religion Um, and it's frustrating when things contradict each other and it's it's also hard when like I for example I would call myself religious I'm Hindu and I believe in you know what Hinduism stands for but then there are a lot of things a part of the religion that I don't believe in Um, but you you know that the expectation of like you're either all in or not Um, and I think a big part of it obviously is you know our parents and our upbringing and who we are brought up around. And mm-hmm. I think because for me having that like two sort of like half here, half India, I'm really grateful that our parents, my brother and I, they kind of left it up to us of like, you know, you do what you want and you kind of can be religious if you want to be, but you cannot be religious if you don't want to be. Um, So like I grew up, grew up with my daddy, my grandma in India, like praying with her every day and, that kind of thing. So I had more of a connection to it. Um, and, you know, but then at the same time, my brother does more community service at the temple with my granddad here than I might do. Um, so it's kind of like he has more of that service aspect, which is a big part of our religion as well. Um, and I think I'm really grateful for having that, I guess, freedom to kind of choose our path. And um, I hope that I can do the same for my kids and my family in the future. It's interesting the thing you say about um like the the mix and the and the it being, you know, like a an intersection because one of the things I struggled with is the the kind of your friends outside of like ethnic backgrounds or ethnic mm. religions didn't understand that mm. and that's what I struggle with like it used to frustrate me like to my core when someone said how are you Indian you're Muslim (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, like the, having to explain what culture versus religion, ethnicity <laughs> versus like, oh my God. But that's like a great example of like how like, yeah, like people from a Pākehā background just don't have that complexity to sometimes mm. deal with and so don't understand, like, all those different aspects that you're battling with. Mm. Yeah, that constant frustration of mine, like, throughout school. Or, like, people will say, you speak Indian, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> It's interesting, eh, when um, people don't understand how people are different <laughs> mm. and... um like uh, when you mentioned that I had a friend who is Indian and she does yoga which is like a stereotype for Indians and people say mm. oh do you do yoga because you're Indian oh it's like, my it's like you know, people say things um, <laughs> as they want to because um, that's what they expect of you and that's mm. what they know from like their point of view um, mm. I love this conversation on like religion and culture because it's definitely something I experienced as well. Um, being Malaysian, um, Malay, um, mm. most of Malays are Muslims. And I think mm. th- it's like very, um, what do you say? It's like um, it goes hand in hand. Like there are very, mm. very, very, very few Mus- uh, Malays who are not Muslim. And it's like mm. a big sin in Malaysia if it's not. It's, it's like more of a legislative thing as well. Um, and, you know, there are, uh, I like how you say, uh, Aisha, that as you grow older, you, you tend to see things that, you know, that you probably not don't agree with, um, mm. the religious culture, not like the religion. Um, and um, I think as you grow older, you just have that um, strong faith to just accept things um, Mm. on your own terms and not Mm. with your family and um, like I still have conversations with my mom that you know might be a bit um, contradicting to each other but um, I guess it's really hard to put a balance and um, also this is a journey I don't think Mm. um, we can all have answers today or even tomorrow even uh, in 10 years and maybe Mm. in 10 years when we have like another interview like this we're going to say completely different things because we've probably grown up by then and have different opinions about who we are Um, um, so yeah I think the idea of identity being like a changing thing, a very fluid thing, um, is is like important to have and for people to understand that, you know, it's not one thing or the other. It can mm. be everything at once. <laughs> hmm. All at once. Yeah. Um, All yeah. Um, so I think we basically talked about like our belonging story in New Zealand with that conversation. Um, so we might go on a song break. Um, Aisha, I know that you brought a song for us today. Can you share a bit about it, the music? Yeah, um, the song, it's a Bollywood song called Galla Gurya. Um, and I guess I didn't share this part of me. I am also a dancer. Um, so I've danced all my life, um, done lots of different kind of dancing, Bollywood being one of them. And this is just a song from a very famous um, Hindi movie that came out sort of quite a, like five six years ago, um, and this is just a very fun family oriented song just about like happiness and celebration. It's in both Hindi and Punjabi, um, and if you're listening to the song, you should also look up the music video because I think that adds another element of fun. Mm. 
Mm, the visual element is important as mm. well with um even especially Bollywood songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'll break out into a choreographed dance in the middle of a party and you're like, This is not realistic at all, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, we just enjoy it. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Aisha. So we'll be right back after the song break. मैं डालू ताल पे भंगड़ा तू भी गिद्दा पाले चलेगा रंग जमा दे हमके बने सभी मत वाले Hey, hey, hey. 
Tago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Marina, and you're here with me for Connecting Cultures Features, a show by for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. So I'm here with Aisha and Farah from Authenticity Aotearoa. Thank you, Aisha, for the song today. Um, so now for this part of the interview, we'll talk about um, Authenticity Aotearoa, so the organization they're here for, uh, what it's about, and then we'll be talking about the Women of Color Conference happening this weekend. Um, so Aisha, maybe you'd like to take the lead and share um, about Authenticity Aotearoa. Sure thing. Thank you, Irina. Um, so Authenticity Aotearoa is a charity and a not-for-profit collective. And sort of our goal is to empower women of color to express their authentic selves in their personal and professional lives. Um, so Authenticity Aotearoa was founded by Nodayan Jana, and she actually created this as an informal community in 2016. And this was because she'd, you know, been through, she'd been living in New Zealand for a while and heard lots of stories from young women of color across the country. And she saw there's this need for support and being able to express our authentic selves in work or school or, you know, professional lives in the community and our personal lives um, and kind of learning how we can embrace all parts of our cultural heritage, but also while navigating the complexity of identities, such as what we were just talking about. Um, and I think that's a perfect example of the complexity that we see um, and that we face as women of color. Um, and so over the last six years, Authenticity has now grown to a charity with um, more than 20 volunteers. And we've got sort of lots of key programs that we um, all passionately work towards. And so all of us do this in our spare time outside of our full-time jobs or studies. Um, and so it's because all of us have a real passion for this community. And I think it is really important to note that our vision as an organization is actually an equitable, equitable world where everyone can embrace and thrive in their most authentic selves. And so you'll notice that our vision doesn't actually say woman of color in it. And that's because of, you know, we want everyone to thrive and kind of acknowledging that women of color are part of that everyone. And we're here to support that community. Um, but with the overarching vision of having everyone thriving. Um, yeah. Mm. And what kind of programs do you have um, just like 
as an ongoing basis and not like the one-off conference that you'll be having? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the Mu Roots program was actually the flagship program of Authenticity Aotearoa. And that's a coaching program that was specifically designed for women of colour wanting to explore their roots and reclaim their identity. Um, so that's been a core program that we've been running over the last six years. Then uh, we've also got Diverse and Proud, which is focused around mental health. And this is about creating a safe space where women of colour can openly share their struggles and support each other and, you know, talk about what they're going through and find solutions together um, as women of colour living in Aotearoa. Um, And we've done lots of community initiatives. So a big thing for us as an organisation is collaboration. Um, You know, there are so many amazing organisations, particularly organisations focused on empowering women or people of colour, Um, So we are really big on collaborating with similar organizations that share our values. So we've done that on things like the vaccine drive um, last year, and that was kind of focused on um, promoting and empowering ethnic youth to get vaccinated. Um, So, yeah, on that, it's a big just collaboration is the big focus. And the Women of Color Conference is actually also hopefully going to be a long term um, program of ours. So it's the first time that we're doing it this year, but our aim is to um, create it into one of our core programs going forward. Mm, that's exciting. Um, I love the idea of it being an ongoing thing because um, like, I... Like there are so many conferences out there where it's like a one-off and like the conversation mm. stops there. But mm. um, like... Um, I I think when I read about authenticity Aotearoa, I really enjoyed the just reading about the Moon Roots um, mm. program, um, mm. reclaiming identity and because um, that's something I'm experiencing right now. Like, um, so I was born in Malaysia, raised there, and then I came to New Zealand when I was ten, and then. Mm went back um, to Malaysia and I think and and then I grew up here as well and I think now I'm just trying to regain my Malay culture and like mm. um, Malay language so I'm really looking forward to the Mu Roots program to come up again and um, yeah. yeah it will be something really interesting no that's awesome and I will add that Mu in Maldivian language means roots so ah. that's kind of where the name comes from because um, Narayan and her family hail from the Maldives. That is beautiful. Um, in Malay, Mu means you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, cool. so I think uh, that's how I would like accept that uh, term. I love that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay, let's talk about the Women of Colour Conference. So um, there must be a lot of planning and this week must be your busiest week ever. So thank you for doing this this week. Um, so what, like who sparked the idea for, to have the Women of Colour Conference and what was that idea? You want me to take this one? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, again, it was born from our CEO, Lorraine. Um, so she tells a story that um, she was sitting on the couch with her sister at her sister's place, and they were talking about how they could bring women of colour together. Um, and her sister said, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how the idea was born. Um, so the... Uh, kind of the process to get here yep 
it's, it's definitely been a long road and at the end of it our kind of goal is to is to bring women of color together um from across from across new zealand um the the program is kind of designed to help women of color like meet each other learn from each other build each other up create those connections to take yourself forward with those um i better read our actual um our actual line um (laughs) we our are we calling this our our theme of the conference um it's for women of color to smash the concrete ceiling so for for women it's the glass ceiling and for women of color it's got that added layer of difficulty and complexity so it's a concrete ceiling there are invisible barriers um and often women of color are the ones working twice as twice as hard and taking all the right step but steps but still coming up against those barriers so we want to bring women of color together so we are as a collective breaking those breaking those concrete ceilings and being able to thrive um, in this world. That's exciting. And how many participants are you expecting this weekend? Um, The number is constantly growing today. (laughs) (laughs) Especially this week. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we're we're expecting around 60 participants and then we've got um, about 25 speakers and facilitators and then what another 10 volunteers and then about approximately 10 kind of of our team who have been working on over the last nine months mm-hmm. um so all together we're expecting kind of a hundred women of color to come together and be there um even if you're a speaking or facilitating or a volunteer we're still considering all those people part of this community they're all women of color and um, they're all passionate about the cause so yeah it's going to be it's going to be big. <laughs> it's daunting at the moment. <laughs> I, can... I think. I think what makes it more daunting is that it's not just the first time that we're doing this as an organisation, but it's the first time anything like this is being done as a country. So mm. you know, we don't have a precedent to follow. Me speaking as a lawyer, um, <laughs> we don't. You know, we don't have some. We don't have a rule book to follow, and we are trying. Our main thing is. I'm still focusing on our values as an organization and ensuring that that comes across in everything that we do. So this conference isn't your typical conference. A lot of things that we are doing, we are breaking those barriers and we are breaking those stereotypes. Um, And part of one example of that is that this conference is actually open to non-women of color as well. Um, And that's because of sort of acknowledging our vision that we want everyone to thrive and we in order for women of color to thrive, we need non-women of color to come on that journey with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason that we decided to do this is because Narayan actually got a lot of support from non-women of color who came up to her and were like, look, we're really keen to support women of color. We want, we just want to learn how. And, you know, we thought as a woman of color organization, we're placed in a way to do that authentically, where we can share the struggles and the complexities that women of color go through in our Aotearoa and have those open conversations with non-women of colour, um, whether that be like people in the workplace, people, you know, as far as I was talking about, our Pākehā friends. Um, and so we've called that the interconnecting stream, um, acknowledge, acknowledging how that kind of connects us. 
I think it's really good that、um, you know you, you you thought about that you know,、um, and it is part of your values to to include those because we are all learning from each other,、mm. and、um, I think it goes well with、um, the education part where they、mm. listen、um, and we listen to them、um, in like a safe space,、um, mm. so that there aren't those you know those. Unconscious bias that happen every day,、um, and for us to all be aware that things can happen.、Um, and you mentioned those streams,、um, and that's one of the streams. What are the、mm. other two streams?、Um, Farah, do you want to take that? Yeah, sure.、Um, so the other two streams are emerging and rising. So kind of built around.、Um, Where you are and where you think you are in your journey, or where you feel you are in your journey,、um, the I don't have the definitions in front of me, but、um, emerging is kind of if you're at the beginning of your journey of kind of、um, understanding and、um, your identity and using that to your full potential, and rising is the kind of the further on stage where you. Have been through that, and you're ready to support other people and bring up other women of color、um, while you continue on your journey.、Hmm. And participants can self-identify what stream they would like to belong to. So there's kind of an explanation when people register, and we've kind of been really open about it on our social media, so that、um, potential participants can ask us questions. Because again, this is a new thing,、hmm. um, and you know. Sort of shaping those streams has been a new journey in itself,、um, and kind of promoting them in the right way so it's kind of clear what our、um, purposes of having the streams in that way.、Um, so our participants will do interactive workshops in those streams, and there will be two interactive workshops on the day. But then there will be spaces where all participants will be in the same、um, room. And that will be, for example, for our opening keynote. We have some workshops that everyone does together.、Um, all the meals, so we've got morning tea, lunch, and afternoon tea. That will be、um, in an open space, and that's because our big thing of this conference is building the community, and we want people to learn from each other and chat with people that they wouldn't, you know, not cross paths with otherwise in their life.、Mm. Um, so we've kind of got a mix of both in the day, where you're kind of in your streams, where you can have those safe. Um, conversations and kind of have open conversations that again we might not have otherwise in our daily lives, and then kind of have the more bigger spaces, which is about、um, positivity and energy and kind of learning from everyone around you.、Hmm. I I love that. Thank you for sharing.、Um, so, how would a person、um, register for the event, and、um, are registration still going on? Yep.、Um, yep. Registrations are still going, and we'll probably keep them open right up until Friday.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's through the best way to go is to pop onto our Instagram or Centricity Aotearoa.、Um, everything is up on there. All the details, the link to purchase the tickets are in our bio.、Um, and if you have any questions, then you can also contact us through、um, just DMing us through Instagram. But yeah, that、um, tickets are still available.、Um, And would encourage people to get on board. <laughs> and we've also got some routes to make the tickets as accessible as possible. And again, this goes back to one of our core values as an organisation, which is、um, accessibility. And we've done that through community packages. So you know, if you are a community organisation,、um, if you do want to reach out to us, even though the conference is 
um, this Saturday. Um, you can reach out to us and we can sort of provide a package for your community. Um, we've also got things like financial support applications and scholarship tickets. And these are actually open to students or professionals. Um, all you need to do is flick us a message and we can send you the process for that. And this is because we kind of acknowledge that um, everyone, again, is at a different point in their lives and, at a, and on a different journey. Um, and we have tried our big thing has been making our ticket prices really accessible. So, you know, compared to other conferences, they are sort of on the lower value, lower price point um, and kind of at our break even because um, as a charity, we just want to cover our costs. Um, and we've also gotten help from sponsors and community partners to support with that. Um, but at the same time, we really want to get as many people there as possible um, and specifically as many women of color there as possible. And so we've got that financial support um, option open until Saturday as well. Hmm. That's amazing. I'm really pleased to hear. Um, and especially, you know, during the busiest week of your lives, probably thinking about um, this exciting um, conference that's going to happen soon. And um, I'm really looking forward to hear all about it when it happens. And I think um, you guys are doing really well on social media as well, just promoting the speakers. Yeah, um, that must Farah, be your yeah, thing. Farah is our social media queen <laughs> and also acknowledging Lulu from our team who um, has created our awesome logo that I think mm -hmm. you'll see on our social media and across all our tickets and everything. And that kind of... Um, incorporates women of color supporting each other to sort of smash the concrete ceiling together and you see the um, sort of fist up from the woman on the top and mm. um, so kind of also acknowledging our awesome team that we've gotten to know over the last sort of 10-12 months um, and all have worked together um, you know anything like this takes a village and it definitely has um, and it, again reiterating that we all do this voluntarily outside of our day-to-day -day, and that comes with its own challenges um, but also makes it more valuable. Mm, and I love the community aspect of this women supporting women um, and like I, I'm really excited to see this outcome. Yeah um, so we might have a wrap-up to this interview. Thank you so much um, Aisha and Farah for being here today on Connecting Cultures and especially to open up about your journeys and um, sharing with us about the Women of Colour Conference. So before we go, are there any last things you'd like to share with us? And thanks so much for having yeah. us. Um, I, one, one of the things that... Um, um, I just wanted to say was like if you are a woman of colour um, feeling alone or feeling like you're the only one who's struggling with kind of your internal challenges then just know that you're not there are so many out there and if you want someone to talk to or you want to get in touch like that our Instagram or any of our socials are open to receive messages um, we'll connect you with the right person or we'll just talk to you um, yeah we just I mean it's all about the collective and lifting each other up and making each other feel less alone. So that was all for me. Mm, thank you, Farah. Aisha? No, I would definitely echo what Farah said. And again, thank you for this opportunity for us to share um, our mahi and our passion. Thanks for listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.